Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about delicate topics and how to have an inappropriate conversation. It's inherently true that I am hopefully speaking to a number of strangers or people who don't know me as well as perhaps they could. On the other hand, you know, I tend to keep things pretty close to the vest. I want to have an inappropriate conversation, but in order to do that, there are certain things that need to be kept at an arm's distance. So I understand on the one hand that things only grow when you kind of let the light shine on them. But as fair skinned as I am, and frankly, as fair skinned as my family is, I've got a way how you let that light shine in, uh, while at the same time making sure that the people I care most about don't get burned. One angle would be the idea of keeping this uh, whole endeavor on a first-name basis. That's a good idea. And another way of handling it is to introduce the notion of swim, someone who isn't me. Now, to put some shorthand behind that, the idea of swim is probably better known in cases where the program or the discussion post might be about something that is potentially illegal. I don't think that with the exception of perhaps some southern states, I don't tend to be talking about illegal activities. As we get further into some of the shows on this uh, particular program, you're going to find that um, in the area of illegal activities, I'm sadly lacking. Um, my experience is intentionally limited. On the other hand, there are certain things that I may want to bring up that I may want to kind of put a little distance between myself and the potential embarrassment factor of being somewhat forthright and somewhat out there. But there's a bigger issue behind it than that. I'm not worried about protecting my family about me talking about things I did when I was in high school or things I did when I was in college. Um, those are stories that frankly come up when you have a family reunion anyway, at least at a certain point in the celebrations. I'm more worried about what happens if I make enough of the wrong people angry. You see, you really can't insist that there is no such thing as liberal and conservative, at least not in the sense of what's good for our country, without making a lot of liberals and a lot of conservatives angry. And you really can't delve deeply into issues that are going to create the potential for genuine compromise without making people who insist on a my way or the highway approach to things, again, very angry. At one point when I was in college, I uh, you know, floated up the idea to my friends, families, and frankly professors that I had reason to believe I might not live to be the age of 40, that I was likely to be gunned down by a radical splinter group of the pro-life movement. I wished I could say that I was really and truly kidding, but I'm not sure I was. A couple of problems. First, the radical, um, violent, extremist wing of the pro-life movement uh, doesn't love life as much as they may let on. You don't have to be a careful reader of headlines to understand this. Uh, what is it, just in the last 12 months or so, perhaps less, a doctor in Wichita, Kansas was shot and killed um, for performing abortion, uh, and I don't think he ever pulled any punches. It wasn't like he was making an argument that he was not an abortion-performing doctor. And there have been, of course, many other instances. I, for one, do not consider myself to be pro-abortion, but I do believe that the solutions that we need to solve this issue, to come to the right kind of conclusion, are going to require compromises. 
And both polar groups, those who would consider themselves 100% pro-choice, those who would consider themselves 100% pro-life, not interested in compromises. And my fear was, dangerously so. There was a group that I encountered after I graduated from college who sort of backed up my concern. They went, I believe, they went by the name Godarchy, kind of a combination of God and anarchy, and certainly a group that I would put squarely on the conservative side of the outer realm of the political spectrum, and probably even in the radical right. I would describe them this way, at least on issues like abortion. While they have a religious perspective, I mean, you know, God is the first part of their name, they love the unborn with all their heart and soul and strength and mind, and I don't think God figured into the mix. And the reason I say that is because they confused God with the unborn. It was enough for them that they were loving the unborn. And uh, they weren't making that much of a distinction between serving God and serving their political agenda. This is a group that, you know, when I was reading the news stories, looking beyond just the headlines, and seeing the stories that were on local television at the time, they always attacked. They always approached, uh, took a forceful approach to issues. So if they didn't like the curriculum that was being used in high schools, they took over the school board. If they didn't like Roe versus Wade, they proposed stacking the Supreme Court. And, you know, the idea that I had in the back of my head that if had I been a journalist, had I been a political columnist for a living, had I written forcefully on these divisive social issues, and had that writing begun to become influential, now that's the key. If the writing that I was going to do was going to be influential, moving the dial, taking the left-leaning position and moving it toward the center, take the right-wing position, moving it toward the center, that's when I was, uh, frankly, convinced that I might become the victim of a violent act. So, at one point in time, as a private citizen, a business manager, uh, kind of running my own, uh, running my own store, it became necessary for me to speak up. Now, I've got family who disagree with me and say, well, hey, it's never necessary to insinuate yourself into a potentially dangerous or at least incendiary political issue. But it seemed to me that the sense of urgency was real. You know, things were getting out of control. Um, the uh, government and the state that I was living in was actually being changed in fundamental ways. You were seeing some court stacking kind of activities going on and the curriculum in school was being changed in such a way that it was beyond just bringing it to a more conservative political bent and more a question of whether or not we were actually changing um, whether we were trying to change facts in the way we taught history for example so on the one hand I had this sense of urgency on the other hand I had this sense of danger so the way I managed it was I wrote a letter to the editor but I sent the letter to the editor in under a pseudonym I wasn't the author that was a good joke in high school. In this case, I went with, uh, with a more of a spin on that, a little play on words. I went with Trey Arthur and uh, wrote a, a fairly long, but not out, of, not out of control long, letter to the editor that addressed some of the issues that I was having with the direction things were going in and with groups like this Godarchy group in particular. And because it was written under a pen name and because I have a journalistic background, I thought it was probably a good idea to be very upfront about it. So I let them know, hey, I'm sending you this letter to the editor. I'm using my pen name. It's not the first time I've used it. It goes back to even when I was in university, maybe even back to high school. So there's some track record there. And I promised them that I wasn't doing it as a way of hiding, that I would answer questions. I would engage in, in public debate. I, would, I was open to being interviewed. 
I just wanted to try to get the distance between my name being in the phone book and therefore my home being in the phone book and therefore my family being caught in the path of politically violent behavior. Uh, I just wanted to, to kind of separate myself from that. This was a time and place with a group of people who were not above picketing stores, not above, you know, uh, vandalizing homes, not above following women and children on their way to school in, in a menacing and threatening way, not above discussing with landlords whether the store that you, you kind of operate as a, as a store manager should have its lease reassessed. So there was a lot of reason to try to make sure that my ideas could get out there without the topic or the debate becoming about me instead of the thought. I wasn't interested in taking credit. I just wanted to get the idea going, get the conversation going. But I also wasn't interested in taking a lot of blame. Well, the newspaper called me, which I thought actually was an act of generosity on their part. They could have just you know, ripped the letter up and ignored it because even today to a certain extent, and certainly you know, 15, 20 years ago, the uh, newspaper business was not at all interested in running anonymous letters to the editor. However, they called me and they said, we're not going to run your letter, and we're not going to run your letter because you've been honest and forthright and told us you're using a pseudonym, and pen names are uh, kind of against our policy. So I discussed with them the reasons why, and frankly, the person I spoke to, whether a copy editor or a, a managing editor, I'm not sure, completely understood. They had seen the exact behavior I was talking about firsthand. They personally had witnessed it and felt personally vulnerable to it. But policy was policy, and at the end of the day, that was, uh, that was what was going to win. So instead, I wrote a separate letter, this time not for publication, just directly to the editor himself and said, hey, here, here's the deal. And what I want to do is I want to share with you a couple things. I want to talk about this idea of how do I discuss these delicate topics, these politically incendiary topics, or even some of the sexual topics that are going to need to come up, and do so in a way that kind of strikes the right balance between pushing the idea out there and, and allowing uh, the right level of privacy to be protected for myself and my family. So I want to talk about SWIM, this concept of someone who isn't me, and I want to talk about this particular letter. So let me start by reading this, uh, at least a few excerpts of this letter that I had written uh, many years ago. Um, here goes. Publicly analyzing issues is not as simple as it seems for many of us. The more controversial the issue or incisive the opinion, the more risky the exercise of, quote, free speech, unquote, becomes. Newspapers don't seem remotely prepared to address the problem. Important viewpoints are being squeezed out of the public forum. Worse, the remaining points of view are somewhat less likely to present a decidedly new perspective or lay any groundwork for compromise. After all, polar groups often attack issues with a one-sided zeal. How many of the valuable opinions we need to resolve controversial issues are eliminated from the conversation because of the threat of retaliation? Clearly, the American press is not doing an adequate job of revealing public opinion. Now, I wouldn't open up, at least not willingly, the Pandora's box of anonymity in a public forum section, in a letters to the editor column. But still, I must insist that non-professional writers should not be asked to put their welfare at stake in exchange for relaying an opinion. Yet this is often the very choice that we're faced with. Undeniably, somebody who speaks openly and forcefully about issues like abortion, gangs, or even the school curriculum is risking at least harassment. If a solution to any challenging issue is being silenced by policy, then I think we should re-examine the policy. 
earlier this year, I used a pseudonym, one I penned in college, to submit a risky opinion to the letter's editor. I was forthright about not only my, the concern for myself and my family and my property, but also about the name below that letter. I made sure the newspaper had my real address to contact me. Furthermore, I promised that the pseudonym would personally return correspondence to anyone who queried the editor about him. This promise was made in full confidence that my pseudonym's point of view was defensible and stable. You see, I wasn't seeking to conceal my viewpoint, but to secure my viewpoint. Since my terms were unacceptable, my argument has been publicly silenced. The newspaper, per se, hasn't been deprived. Policy remains unscathed. Good job. You've protected your policy. I haven't been deprived. My family remains free from the type of attacks that could have followed such a letter. So good job for me. I put my priorities in the proper order. Nevertheless, the reader is being routinely deprived of opinions that might just make a difference. I don't doubt that newspapers will remain as strongly opposed to pseudonyms as they are to anonymous writers. Why shouldn't letter writers freely take the risks that journalists are paid to take? Editors may ask. Well, you know what? The editor who asked that question has answered the question with his very question. There's a difference between being a paid professional and being a citizen. No one's paying me to take any risks when I write a letter to the editor and stick it in the mail. Anonymity, therefore, is indeed necessary, at least at times. Consequently, these ideas that will be excluded from the public debate, even though everything we know about public forums tells us we're missing something, those ideas are going to hold us back from making progress. Other solutions are available. Perhaps the most aggravating thing is that other solutions are out there. Many newspapers with expanded weekend opinion sections publish a call-the-editor column. Those call-the-editor columns typically do not include attribution. They're the same kind of anonymous writing or pseudonymous writing that the letters column was unwilling to publish. The contents for those kinds of call-the-editor columns are typically culled from uh, anonymous messages left on an answering machine, and a local columnist pulls that information together and lays it out in, a, in, a, you know, sort of a, in an article, kind of a regular uh, running article. Well, why couldn't a local columnist do the exact same thing for noteworthy segments of provocative letters that fall outside the policy for, for submissions because they're anonymous? The newspaper that opens itself up to such a column may be surprised at the response. When freedom of speech includes freedom from fear, we may finally hear some ideas that our society needs for building consensus on issues that we've lied to ourselves and told ourselves we can actually never solve. So that's my point of view from, a, from the political perspective. From a religious perspective, I, I really don't worry too much about that. I try to live out loud. I'm pretty comfortable um, sharing my faith. I'm pretty comfortable being critical of those who um, make sharing my faith much more challenging because they don't have a genuine gospel to share. They have more of a you know, political, moral majority idea to share. But when it comes to the other parts, you know, things that are a little bit more personal, um, your art, your family, your, your sexuality, all those sort of things, it may be handy to come in with a notion of something, of something along the lines of swim, someone who isn't me. Now, the concept behind that is simply to say that if you're writing a letter or if you're posting something on, a, on an online forum or if you've got a blog, 
you don't necessarily have to surrender your bill of rights in the process of doing that. You can describe things that come into your either your experience or your imagination, your own personal experience or things you've witnessed, or things that you've heard second or third hand as hearsay. You don't have to own those things. You don't have to quote those things. Again, I'm not a paid professional journalist, so the rules of attribution don't necessarily apply to me. But I certainly can tell stories, some of them funny, perhaps some of them a little more dark than that, and attribute them to Swim, someone who isn't me. Here's an example. This friend of mine, Swim, likes to eat at the YWCA. He says that the deli there has an open face sandwich with a simply succulent special sauce. Do you see what I mean? See what I'm doing there? It doesn't have to be my story, but if I want to convey the idea, it may be a good idea to do that with at least a little bit of humor. Four pages locked and ready to fire. Starbase 66, the international Star Trek and science fiction podcast. And the other ships, the computer was female. Right. I think Kennedy should be the new voice. Works for me. Not doing it. <laughs> I want. I want to be the sexy, obnoxious voice in uh, Tomorrow Was Yesterday, but a guy. This is the one where. Uh, we're ready. Yeah, exactly. But I, I want to be like uh, computer access library. You got it, baby. <laughs> I got your sweet, sexy library coming right up. I would eradicate Starfleet in a heartbeat. Starbase 66, along with many other fine podcasts, is available at simplysyndicated.com. Live long and prosper. So, when it comes to delicate topics, um, what do I like to do? What do I, um, what do I think is, falls well within the realm of what uh, the Bible would describe as acceptable sexual practice? You know, the Bible is a little bit like the American Bill of Rights in the sense that there are some things which have a big must-not attached to them, really one or two. And then there's a lot more things which are recommended behaviors that you ought to do. Um, the New Testament, at least, has many more ought-to-dos than must-not-dos. And as a matter of fact, in all of the quotations of Jesus throughout all of the Gospels, he says you must not two times, two times and two times only. And I'm going to get to what those two times are in maybe a, a special program dedicated just to those ideas. But essentially, it's uh, don't make a show of your religion. Uh, don't make a show of the sacrifices you do. It's about living humbly. It's about living in a way that your relationship with, with God is private. So that's kind of the, the religious perspective. When it comes to the personal side of things, <clears throat> this is not a program where I'm going to talk about what I like to do in bed. It's a program where I'm going to talk about things which I think are okay, things which are fine, things which are good ideas, perhaps things which are bad ideas too. And you probably could read between lines if you wanted to play the tea leaves game and try to assume things about what it is that I do and don't like. But again, this program's not about me. Let's make this a little bit of a reset. We're here to have an inappropriate conversation, and to do that wisely, there's going to have to be some personal storytelling. I hope personal storytelling is one of the things that I'm good at. However, when I'm bringing up a story from my past, it's not because I'm drawing attention to myself. It's because the story is there to illustrate the issue at hand. I really want that focus to be outward and at times even upward toward problems and ideas we may be able to come up with for how to solve them. To do that, I've got to get myself out of the way. And conveniently, getting myself out of the way is one technique I might be able to use to prevent my family from getting caught in the crossfire of some of this stuff.
I don't think that the newspaper all that time ago did a bad thing by saying, we're not going to include your argument in the public debate. It delayed, probably by more than a decade, some of the ideas that I'm going to express on this program. However, I've tried to use that time wisely to assess questions of how to express these ideas in a way that truly gets to the heart of the matter without making it about me versus someone else. Whether that someone else falls on the uh, you know, side of the spectrum where they're more liberal than I am or the side of the spectrum where they're more conservative than I am, I'm hoping that I can do what I can to create that central focus. Now, to do so, I'm going to have to tell the occasional naughty joke. And when it's called for, I'm going to do it. And when I have to do it in an explicit way, I'm going to do that too. If it bothers you, please forgive me. In today's Different Drummer, I'm going to bring together a couple of things that we've talked about before. One of them is the idea that every now and then, perhaps very rarely, but every now and then, I'm going to mention a different drummer that I happen to know in a much more personal way. Uh, Not somebody I've read about in a history book, not somebody I admire because I've listened to their music or I've watched their movie, but somebody that I've personally interacted with. And the other idea that I'm going to bring into this is the notion that SimplySyndicated.com is the best podcast network Um, if you want to call it that, in the world today. What makes that thing so special, in my mind? Uh, Not to elevate any one member of the team above any of the others, because my first exposure to it was a group of five people, four or five people, on a program called Movies You Should See. I'm not picking one out, I'm not playing favorites, and I think you'll see why in just a minute. My different drummer this week is Allison Downing. She has described herself as an accidental podcaster. But she's also a shining example of someone who lives out loud while maintaining boundaries. She's also the first one of these drummers that is a contemporaneous friend of mine. What do I mean by the power of maintaining boundaries? Well, it kind of is consistent with uh, the things I've been talking about in this intimate conversation idea that you have to establish a few rules. And if you can create rules that encourage conversation, as opposed to creating rules that limit conversation, you're going to be much better off. So, um, Allison Downing is a podcaster. You can hear her work on the Simply Syndicated Network, programs like Movies You Should See, and Richard and Allison's Super Happy Fun Time. However, I think more, the, the reason I'm calling her out as a different drummer, is because of the strength and the power represented by the forum operated by that website. I want to just kind of cover a few things uh, along the lines of giving you a sense of what the rules are, because to me, again, like the ideas that I've spoken about, concepts like SWIM, if you establish a good set of rules, if you consistently apply those rules, and again, a lot of this is not unlike what what parents ought to strive toward, uh, what what a parent would be trying to accomplish. Within those rules, you can provide a tremendous amount of freedom, and you can encourage and empower people to take a tremendous pattern of personal growth, where they uh, maybe never dreamed that they would ever speak to an issue, or felt that they were in some way not you know, intellectually equipped to have a conversation with other people about a topic that might be you know, tricky, or uh, based on current events, or uh, based on something you know, really fairly deep and historical, or philosophical, or metaphysical. The people who have a good set of rules to guide them can find their way into those waters knowing that the waters are just not infested with sharks. The biggest problem I've had with the internet 
during my entire experience of the internet is that I've found that the waters tend to be either get very cold very quickly or become very hostile very quickly. And it doesn't make me want to swim. Uh, my attitude has typically been that I'm okay here on the beach. I'll, I'll watch what's going on out there. If I have to you know, swim in and try to you know, rescue somebody who's in danger, I'll do my best. But I didn't have much interest in being out there in the water because there's so much flaming and so much confrontational behavior. And what Simply Syndicated's forum has strived to do is to encourage conversation on as many topics as possible by doing everything possible to eliminate those negative qualities that you tend to see in online behavior. I'm reading directly from the forum's uh, list of rules. And again, it may be inconsistent in the minds of some people to say, how can you have something like a list of rules? How can you have this Bill of Rights? How can you have these Ten Commandments? Whatever you want to call them. And how can that encourage freedom? Well, listen, and I think you'll see how. We hope that you notice that there is a friendly difference to the simply syndicated forum. People are not abusive toward each other and generally post well-thought-out and intelligent comments. There is no dogmatism, and we welcome challenges to dogmatic and ill-argued points. Here are the rules that we expect everyone to adhere to. So again, there's no favorites here. I'm only going to read you know, one or two of these rules. There's more. The other rules have a lot more to do with some of the uh, etiquette, is how I would describe it. I'm not spoiling the ending of movies for people, um, you know, posting things which are easy to read. But the first couple in particular do deal with behavior. And it's in this realm of dealing with behavior that if you can control people's worst impulses with a strong set of rules, you can really get some great results. Uh, first one, we assure you that individuals will never be banned for their opinions about film or actors, but everyone must absolutely leave personal offensiveness aside. Now, let me take a quick aside here and say that obviously this is a forum which grew from people coming in, having listened to programs like Movies You Should See, wanting to talk about movies, perhaps feeling that uh, a recent episode was a movie that no one should see, and what's it doing on a program called Movies You Should See? Or on the other hand, putting forward their point of view that, you know, you're dealing with a lot of films, including some European films. Great. Good job. Where are the Italian movies? Those kinds of discussions coming up. And the first rule is all about making sure that that conversation doesn't devolve into name-calling. Picking back up with the rules again, we will not tolerate racism, sexism, homophobia, or other abuses of equality in these forums and have a zero tolerance for personalizing any such comments. Individuals will be warned before they are banned so that they may take appropriate steps to modify their behavior. And if they fail to do that, they'll be moderated off the boards. So you have an organization with a strong set of moderators, a couple of them who you know, work for Simply Syndicated, who represent the company directly, and another two or three who are essentially members of the forum community, members of the group. So there's strong self-policing attitude, and it's not at all unusual to have other people who aren't in any way associated with the acts of moderation uh, taking steps to provide uh, a gentler moderating influence to soften uh, the blow of what appears to be an escalating, more angry kind of conversation between people so that you know, no one has to have the rules read to them, so to speak. Here's the second rule that I wanted to read to you. No name-calling amongst yourselves. Idiot and retard are deemed just as nasty as the C-word. If you have an issue with another member, then sort out your differences in a civil matter or ask for moderation. Do not descend into personal attacks as these will lead to a ban. You know, when I first got online, looked at this forum, 
um, previous incarnations of it actually read the rules. My first thought was, well, the, you know, that's kind of crazy. It, you know, that that's, uh, sounds very dogmatic. And ironically, it's dogmatic with, you know, a couple of paragraphs that actually speak very uh, forcefully about being opposed to dogmatism. But what you end up with, instead of having this, you know, dogmatic set of rules that is thrust out and put in people's face, it's a fairly unusual thing to have anybody referred to the rules to read again. And essentially, rather than it be a matter of people being punitively banned, it's simply a matter of saying, hey, this is a place that has a certain ethic to it. It has a certain vibe to it. And if you don't fit in here, if the only way you can be happy is if you get your chance to quote-unquote win arguments by striking first and attacking people and cutting them off at the knees and and slitting their jugular, then you're not going to be happy at this place. And if you don't voluntarily decide to go take your game of conquest somewhere else, then you'll be encouraged to take your game of conquest somewhere else. Uh, There's an author named Larry Wingate who makes the argument in one of his books on and kind of employer-employee relations, where he makes an interesting and provocative claim that firing is not something that you do to someone, it's something that you do for someone. That uh, removing an employee who can't get their job done from your organization is one step toward helping them find a spot where they will be more successful. That might be elsewhere in the company if they're reassigned, or it may be in another company altogether. And that idea is not inconsistent with this one that there's some people who simply can't function without flaming. And this rules kind of gives everyone the uh, power and the understanding to kind of know where we stand with that. And that as a group of people who interact with each other on a regular basis, um, flaming is just simply absolutely not permitted. How does, uh, how does moderation manifest itself? Well, one of the ways that moderation manifests itself is in um, emails or personal messages that are sent to individuals who've crossed the line or gotten too close to the line or perhaps lost track of where the line was, whether they've crossed it or not. And I say this, calling Allison Downing out as a different drummer, not because I've been in the path of somebody who's attempted to personally attack me. That actually hasn't happened. Again, I've seen this construct with these rules work brilliantly in circumventing a lot of the nonsense that otherwise might have occurred. On the other hand... I've gotten one of those emails. I've gotten one of these, those emails along the way saying, hey, you might want to rethink your approach on this particular question. It wasn't done out in public. It wasn't done to embarrass me. In fact, the only reason that it's being mentioned uh, at all is because I'm bringing it up. But I'm bringing it up as a way of saying that even when you endeavor to be kind and considerate, when you endeavor to be constructive and in many cases flat out positive with others, you can still go awry. You can still say things which don't seem to you to be insensitive, but might strike someone else, rub someone the wrong way. And I've gotten one of those letters before. So when I mentioned earlier that you know the forum activity, the forum ethos, has a lot to do with Alison Downing. And for that reason, she stands as a really great example of somebody who gets this idea of how to handle delicate conversation, how to find a way to let the light shine in without letting the light turn into a flame that burns people up. Well, she's spoken to the evolution of that before, um, either in the things that she's written online or on some of the podcasts where people have called and asked questions and she's provided some answers. So let me use her words to sort of explain kind of where all this came from. All I ever wanted was somewhere that I'd like to hang out with cool people that were into the same stuff as me, who had respect for each other and could really come together and share opinions, ideas, and have fun. I'd been on the internet looking for what I wanted from an online community for years and always came up short. When we built the website, immediately there was a clear ethos that we were going to work towards and 
I think we've got it. I absolutely agree with her, as a matter of fact. I think she's got it. Allison describes herself as an accidental podcaster. Quoting her again, she says, I never expected to, A, record one, B, be a presenter on some of the most popular shows out there, or C, consider any listener to be a friend. I am certainly not friends with any of my clients at work, so I thought that it would just be natural, like a built-in boundary I would never cross. How very wrong. I'm lucky enough to have met some of you. Uh, she cites a couple of names and says they're both completely awesome. And they're, they're both definitely my friends. There's also the countless others of you that I can't wait to meet. Some that are on different continents. And when they hurt, I hurt a little bit too. I'm going to stop reading her words at that point. That's plenty of attribution to give you a sense why I'm calling Allison Downing out as a different drummer. She is, of all the people who are part of Simply Syndicated, uniquely responsible for the uh, ethos that exists on the forum. When you see her interactions versus the interactions of some of the other podcasters, some of the other show hosts, you definitely get a sense that this is more her baby than perhaps anybody else's. And the rules that she's established provide a pretty clear guideline for me to follow here in terms of saying, listen, this isn't personal. Um, it's not about me calling out people my, my name and, and playing a naming and shaming game. And I'm certainly not expecting anyone to you know, knock, my, knock at my door with sort of a, an act of what Godarchy might call a righteous retaliation. What we're looking to do on inappropriate conversations is create a place where the issues can be discussed and where people have enough respect for each other to focus on what's really the problem and not on the other person doing the talking. And, and that's really what it's about. The first time I read the rules, I was a little bit struck by the fact that the rules are so explicit in calling out racism, sexism, homophobia, and other abuses of equality that those things are not tolerated on Simply Syndicated's forum. Well, you know, that's exactly right. You don't often see such a list if you're not, in, if you're not reading the fine print, I suppose. But if you take a look at most of the employee manuals in most of the workplaces, at least in America today, you're going to find that this set of guidelines isn't all that foreign. And that because the website is what it is, it's probably more necessary on the web than in a workplace environment. And the bottom line is the uh, barriers to equality, the uh, name calling and uh, the hedges that people put around themselves to protect themselves against what they fear may be name calling all of those things stop the conversation in its tracks. So I would like to personally thank Allison Downing for keeping the conversation on that side of the World Wide Web going. And I'm going to continue to do what I can in my own small way on my own small show to keep the conversation going here as well. On the very first program, I mentioned that I feel Simply Syndicated has the best set of podcasts out there today. The uh, programs that you might catch on that uh, network are Movies You Should See, Make It So, a Star Trek podcast, Starbase 66, another Star Trek podcast, Nerd Hurdles, comedy program, Masters of None, another comedy program, For Those About to Rock. Um, there's just a wide variety there, all worth catching. And uh, frankly, shows that because I was able to hear what could be done in this medium, 
that there's something more going on there than just do it yourself. Kind of an inspiration to lead me to say, yeah, maybe I've got something to say. And if I can say it even 10% as well as they do, it's probably worth the effort. I just need to maintain enough personal balance to understand how to do this delicately. Movies You Should See Year 3 is now available to buy at musicalmousemat.com. Catch up with classic episodes like The Burbs, Top Gun, Things We Hate Part 2, and Movies You Should See Third Birthday Special, all at musicalmousemat.com. If you have thoughts you'd like to share, I can be reached at ic underscore greg at hotmail.com. And the website for this show is inappropriateconversations.podbean.com. That's the HTTP colon slash slash thing, no WWs, inappropriateconversations.podbean.com. Thanks for listening. called Inappropriate Conversations. The show is breaking down barriers about discussing politics, sex, and religion. Society says we should keep them separated. I say come out and play. You'll find Inappropriate Conversations on iTunes, in the politics section, or at inappropriateconversations.podbean.com. Thanks for listening. Music by Kevin McLeod.